For the rest of the month of May, we are going to finish up our study of the Gospel of John by looking at chapter 21. This final chapter serves as an epilogue of sorts, kind of telling us the where are they now, or how did they get to where they are now about the disciples, that what changed about Peter and John in particular after Jesus rose from the dead. Now, as we come to our passage at the beginning of chapter 21, we need to remember that things do not happen by random chance. That's true, not just of the Bible, but in all of life, that God is in control. He sovereignly ordains whatever happens, and we must keep that in mind as we read our passage today. Because it reads kind of like Jesus just happens to show up after a bad night of fishing. But Jesus intentionally chose this moment to appear again to his disciples. And John intentionally chooses to include this passage at the end of his gospel. So why? What is this encounter teaching the disciples and then teaching the rest of us as we read this gospel? That's what we're asking as we come to our text today. We're in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And just like our first two scripture readings, we are back on a boat. If you get seasick, I am sorry. We've been on a boat all morning. Eventually we will make it to land. John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Let us hear the word of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you speak to us. That just as Jesus appeared to his disciples, you speak to us even now. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you speak today through your word. And so we pray, O God, that you would speak through this word to us and that we would have ears to hear. I pray, O God, in spite of my own sinfulness, that you would use me to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word. And that you would give us ears to hear. That you would give us open hearts and minds to receive your word, O God. That you would work as you have promised through your word. For your word, O God, is powerful. That you would mold us and shape us and draw us close to you as we sit and as we hear the word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to start this morning by looking at the problem the disciples face in our passage. And it seems to be relatively minor, insignificant. They struggled to catch fish. If you have ever been fishing, you might have had this experience. How'd it go? Didn't catch anything. That was their problem. But upon closer inspection, there is a deeper problem behind their fruitless fishing. We notice a few things right away. One, they have returned to their home region of Galilee, that this sea is the same Sea of Tiberias, the same Sea of Gennesaret. It is the Sea of Galilee. It had a whole bunch of names. That's where they went. At this point, they have not yet received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will come at Pentecost. And so they are in this brief, weird period of time between the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. They're kind of half waiting and half just, what are we going to do? What are we doing for this time? We're just waiting like we got to do something. And so we notice that they're still spending time together, so that's good. And Peter decides to go fishing, which is not necessarily good or bad, because they couldn't just sit around all day waiting. They needed to eat. They wanted to provide for their families, and a few of them knew how to fish, and so that's what they did. This is not necessarily some kind of disobedient reversion to their former lives, forsaking Jesus. No, they just needed something to do, and so they went fishing. The fishing itself is not wrong, but the way John presents the scene shows us that something was missing. See, John tells us that they fished throughout the night. Now, you might go fishing at night because that's when it's favorable weather for fishing, perhaps. But every single time in John's Gospel where he talks about night or darkness... There is some symbolism pointing us to misunderstanding or evil. So in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to visit Jesus at night 
not understanding the kingdom of God and the need to be born again. In John chapter 13, Judas left the Last Supper at night to go and betray Jesus. And so the mention of fishing at night, especially when Jesus shows up at the break of dawn, tips us off to be looking for something the disciples were doing wrong, or at least misunderstood on the boat that night. And so we look at what they're doing. Well, they have a rough night. They fished all night and caught no fish. They were likely tired, exasperated. Perhaps they were worried they had lost their touch after following Jesus for a few years. That maybe following Jesus had led them to be worse fishermen. They had not been on the water in so long. But it seems that John is making the exact opposite point. That the disciples were forgetting that Jesus is the Lord of all. That Jesus, the same Jesus who helped them in our New Testament reading from Luke 5, that same Jesus was still alive. He was risen from the dead, proven to be the Son of God. Wouldn't He still help them? Didn't He still care about them? Yes, He's not physically present, but did they lose sight of the fact that Jesus still cared about them? Perhaps. And then at the break of dawn, after a night of fruitless fishing, they hear someone shout from the shore some helpful advice. Fishermen love to give advice on where to catch the fish, and the voice from shore is no different than, Hey guys, try over there. And by this point, they're like, fine. What do we have to lose? They're not too proud to take advice at this point early in the morning. They realize how weak and incapable they are on their own, and so they obey this advice, and immediately they can't even bring their nets in because they're so full. They have caught a catch beyond their wildest imaginations. And John, who describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, first connects the dots, recognizing that guy over on shore, it's got to be Jesus. There's no way that's just a local who knows where the fish are. That's Jesus. It is the Lord. And so the lesson of the story was becoming clear. On their own, they fished all night with lots of effort and no success. But when they trusted and obeyed the voice of Jesus, they enjoyed great fruitfulness. The provision of Jesus is what these dependent disciples desperately needed. They had lost sight of the fact that even though Jesus was not physically present with them that night, he was still in charge of the world, still interested in the well-being of his friends. And so looking at this problem the disciples faced, that they couldn't catch fish, it seems kind of silly, but the answer is they needed Jesus to catch fish. That he wanted them to depend on him for his provision. And so it seems like this story is here at the end of John's Gospel to drive home the point of John 15, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. On the boat that night, the disciples seemed to have forgotten that. Just as we repeatedly forget that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. 
It makes you wonder if on the boat that night, as they are bringing their net time after time with not a single fish in it, one of them said out loud, man, I wish Jesus was here. He makes his way easier. It would be really nice because he's not here right now. If only he were here. See, he wasn't on the boat. And maybe they thought he can't help us because he's not here. Perhaps one of the disciples even thought in his own head, I wonder if we like prayed to Jesus. But that idea was like way too radical to dare say out loud in front of his fellow disciples. That was so new. You see, the disciples were adjusting to this new reality that their master who had been with them is the Lord of all. And he's there even when he's not there. That truth had not fully sunk in yet. But Jesus helped it sink in. Because when they get to shore, they see it was Jesus who guided them. And they are reminded that he desires to provide for his people. See, Jesus not only made sure that the disciples caught a huge haul of fish, he also provides for the basic needs of food and recovery. Think of how amazing it would be. And unexpected that after a long night, staying awake all night on a topsy-turvy boat, being tired from working, frustrated from not having anything, you come ashore and someone has a hot breakfast for you? Like, amazing. That is exactly what you want. A hot meal right there waiting with me not having to do any work? In Christ's provision, we see His desire to provide not only for our mission but for the things we need in our lives. But sadly, we, like the disciples, often forget His desire to graciously provide. And one big reason that we forget His desire to bless us is that we are so used to relying on our own strength and our own efforts. Just as the disciples trusted in their own fishing expertise all night, so we can rely on our own efforts and tools for success, whether that is in our mission as believers or in our daily lives. See, if our worship feels stagnant at church, we try to modernize our music or invest in new instrumentation. If our church's giving decreases, we try pledge campaigns and stewardship seminars. If our children's ministry dwindles, we hire a young, charismatic person or we plan fun activities to entice people to attend. We have solutions to these problems. If only we put in some more effort, we will fix it. If our devotional time seems dry, we go online and buy a new devotional book. If our Bible reading seems dull, well, let's try buying that study Bible and reading that one. If we don't get anything out of the sermon, we try going somewhere else where the preacher is less boring. If it's pulling teeth to get our kids to come to church, then we go to a different church where our kids' friends go. If our prayers feel rote and forced, we try journaling or yet another book on prayer. If we are getting distracted by our phones, we just download the next Bible app thinking that will help. 
With our effort and our insight, we have strategies and solutions for success. If our marriage is fraught with tension and conflict, we consider counseling or a marriage seminar. If our children are especially disobedient, we try some new strategy from a new popular parenting book. If our budget is too tight every month, we try to get another job or we cut spending in some way. If we feel bored, we sign up for the newest streaming service to occupy our time. We are experts at trying new tools to solve our problems. There are an infinite number of new strategies and solutions for us to solve our own problems. And we are willing to expend any effort to provide for ourselves success and a better life in life and in mission. Now, I want to be clear. A lot of those solutions I just mentioned are not necessarily bad. Just like fishing that night was not necessarily bad but they are insufficient without Jesus. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. Are we looking to Him first? Asking Him to provide for us. And maybe He will provide for us through some of these solutions. Jesus didn't have all of the fish flop out of the water into the boat. He still used their nets. They still lowered them down. They still raised them up. But they did so in dependence on Jesus. See, the church in America is commonly criticized by the global church for our prayerlessness. That the church worldwide that is persecuted or in poverty looks at us and says, we have too much. Too many resources, too much money, too many different strategies, too many options to choose from that we use prayer as a last resort, instead of as our default option. See, the disciples worked extra hard on that boat. They likely tried every fishing strategy known to man, but none of them were successful until Jesus provided for them. He wanted them to see that even though he was not physically in the boat, he was more than capable of blessing them beyond measure. And so we see that one of the reasons we don't rely on Jesus is because we rely on our own effort. But another one of the reasons that we don't rely on Jesus is we forget that He really wants to bless us. We doubt that Jesus really wants to do good for us. Now, we believe He's real. We believe He's the Son of God. We believe He can bless us. But we worry that we are either too insignificant or too insubordinate to receive his abundant blessings. Look at the disciples and their reluctance in this passage. Jesus is sitting by a fire with freshly cooked fish and bread prepared just for them. And they know it's Jesus by that point. And yet Jesus has to say to them in verse 12, Come and have breakfast. It seems like they are hesitant that these sweaty fishermen feel nervous 
how can I eat food prepared by God Himself? They're afraid of asking Jesus if it's really Him. It seems like in their minds they're thinking, how can I ask such trivial questions of the Holy One of Israel? See, they know it is Him, and yet it feels so strange to be in the presence of one that they now know is truly God. They used to love being with Jesus, but now that He had been resurrected in power, shown to be God in the flesh, they're a little less comfortable around Him. Perhaps it was feeling ashamed that nobody thought of asking Jesus during the night, Hey, Jesus, could you help us here? Perhaps they felt shame. Perhaps they felt shame in their dependence that we need Jesus for this thing that we could do without Him before, it seemed. They felt so utterly helpless in Jesus' presence. Jesus doesn't care. Come. Have breakfast. This is all for you. Take it. He wants to provide. We see that in the disciples in general, but we also see this reluctance in Peter in particular. Now, what Peter does in this passage is somewhat vague. And most people, when they read this, and most commentators throughout history, assume, and understandably so, that Peter jumps out of the boat and swims towards Jesus. But the text does not clearly say that's what he did. It says he threw himself in the sea. He could have thrown himself toward Jesus, away from Jesus, just generally in the water. We don't know. He obviously ends up on shore. But what's he doing? Did he perhaps jump off the boat to try to avoid Jesus? Now, I know that sounds illogical and ridiculous, but we are talking about Peter, and he has a habit of doing that. See, I can't help but see a little echo of Jonah in what Peter does, throwing himself into the sea, thinking that his sin, his denial of Jesus, is what caused this Peter-led expedition to be a failure. Perhaps it was the sight of the charcoal fire on shore, the exact same description of a fire used in John earlier when he denied Jesus around a charcoal fire at the house of the high priest. We don't know exactly what Peter did or why he did it, but all of the options that we can sort through end in a similar spot. That Peter is nervous about a break between him and Jesus. Either he jumped in to avoid Jesus because of his sin and was trying to get away, or he jumped in to get to Jesus, trying to prove he was not denying him. Or maybe he jumped in to get to Jesus because he didn't want to lose Jesus. He had been without Jesus for a few days, and he didn't want to lose Jesus. He wanted to be together with Jesus. Whatever the reason, Peter was concerned he might lose Jesus' blessing. He doubted his worthiness to be blessed by the one he denied. And yet, if you notice, there's still a spot for Peter at breakfast. 
Jesus doesn't say, come and have breakfast. You go over there. He does not exclude Peter. And we'll get to him talking to Peter next week when he directly addresses Peter's denial. But even though Peter sinned against Jesus, he is welcome to receive Christ's blessings. That forgetful, fallen sinners are welcome at the table of Jesus. In fact, that's exactly who is welcome at the table of Jesus. Those who know their own dependence, their own need of Him, knowing that apart from Him they can do nothing. Like Laura talked about in the children's message, today we cannot see Jesus in the flesh. We don't always see Him. We don't have Jesus living in our house in the room down the hall. We don't have Jesus riding shotgun with us on the way to work. We don't have Jesus at school with us sitting at the desk next to us. And so for us and Jesus, sometimes we can operate on an out-of-sight, mi- out out-of-mind principle. That when that box lid goes on, we all of a sudden are remembering things like Dory from Finding Nemo. Jesus who? What? Hmm? Wait, there's a Jesus? Who is that? And we can forget that He is there. Forget that He is in control. Forget that He is King of the universe. And we are tempted to rely on our own efforts and strategies for success in life and in faith. But in this passage, Jesus shows us. He shows us, I want to cast away the darkness of night of your forgetfulness. I want to cast it away like the breaking of the dawn. I want you to know that I am there for you. I am reigning in heaven, but I am ready to bless you with what you need for your life and for your mission as a believer. Do not think that your sins will keep you from being invited to be blessed by me, because I have dealt with your sins in death. Jesus is the one who was stripped for the work of our salvation. That He was thrown into the sea of God's wrath on the cross for us. And like a greater Jonah, He suffered for us so that we might be saved from the wrath of God and be blessed by Him all of our days. See, we are not simply blessed by Jesus in order to have delicious breakfast at Cracker Barrel tomorrow morning or wherever you happen to be eating breakfast. We are not blessed simply to have earthly feasts and comfortable lives. Jesus wants to bless us so that we can go and be fishers of men, knowing that Jesus will provide for His church a large catch of fellow sinners, and the nets will never break. None will be lost. And they will be gathered in and we will join around the fire of God's warming love and so be filled and blessed by Him forever and ever. And so Jesus tells us, come, have breakfast. This morning, come to Jesus. Be blessed. Know that your sins are forgiven. Know that He is there to provide for you in all of life. Let us depend on Him. For apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank You for today and for Your Word. We ask, O oh Lord, that You would please help us to depend on You. Remind us of Your gracious provision. Remind us that You want to bless us with all that we need. 
This is not some blessing of materialism that we will have overflowing bank accounts and all of the luxuries of this life, but rather you give us what it is we need to live for you and serve you and give to others. God, we pray that we would love you in that way. Help us to rely on you and to not trust in our own efforts, our own works, our own strengths, and to remember that you are a gracious and loving God who has chosen us and who delights to bless us abundantly in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.